Oh God, in this season, remind us of your joy. Remind us of your call that we are a joy-filled people. Amen. This morning, I want to step away for a bit from the Christmas story. We've celebrated around it the last couple weeks, and next Sunday, you'll get a double fill of it if you're here on Sunday morning and on Sunday evening. Uh, But today, though, I want to step away from the Christmas story and all those stories around it um, and focus on this season of Advent and particularly on the Advent joy. I mentioned it earlier about Gaudette, Rejoice Sunday. We light the pink candle. There's something special about this day. I want to explore it. Uh, I looked up the definition of joy in my big dictionary that I have in my office. And the first definition, I just want to make sure I had it right, The first definition for joy is a very glad feeling, happiness, great pleasure, delight. Sounds good. Then the second definition is the emotion that comes from this feeling. Now with that in mind, the glad, the feeling, the pleasure, the delight, I'd like to offer up some items that have appeared in our news lately. There's been wildfires burning in California. The governor of that state tells his people that this is going to be the new normal. There's an astonishing number of people, especially men, who have been called out lately over charges of sexual harassment. Sports stars, famous faces on television, movie industry, and of course all over the political spectrum from down the hill here in Frankfurt all the way up to the biggest places in Washington. And speaking of politics, I can't remember a more divisive time in my lifetime between political parties and their supporters. Racism remains the original sin of our nation. Terrorism and the evils of such violence are taking place in our nation and around the world. Threats of war with nations such as North Korea and the possibility of nuclear war breaking out. The growing divide between the rich and the poor in our nation. The health care crisis and the debacle that is going on with that. The growing number of people addicted to opioids, perhaps the single greatest crisis in our community. Where in the world is the glad, the happy, the pleasure, the delight, the excited emotion when all this stuff is going on? And of course, we don't need a list from the news to know that there's things in life that aren't joyful at all. Look on the prayer list. Perhaps in your own prayer this morning, you lifted up someone or something or some event that is anything but joyful. Perhaps it's the continued loss of a loved one. Or coping with life and living with life as you had not hoped it would be. Perhaps it's friends or family members or your own self that is suffering in some way, where in the world can be the joy in that? My question is, what is the source of our joy? 
Now, I've said this before, but I think it's true. It seems that every year we start the celebration of Christmas earlier and earlier. And yeah, I think there is some uh, people wanting to, markets wanting you to buy stuff. I think that's part of it. But I think even more, there's a desire to live in the joy of Christmas, the creating the joy that's the excitement, the, the parties, the candles, the, the music that will get folks into a Christmas spirit that will last longer. And that's great. And there is joy in that celebration. But if that is the source of our joy, what happens when the trees come down and the parties are over and all the gifts have been unwrapped and put away? Of course, the church, church doesn't do much to help matters as far as joy goes. A lot of times when we, the church, hear about some of these things that I lift, listed earlier, we're quick, to, we're quick to just lash out at people. That it's those people's fault for all the bad. Or maybe we just clamor for God to come and swoop us off and take us up to heaven and let the rest of these folks deal with all the mess around us. But more often we're quick to say who is wrong and that we are right. It's not a whole lot of joy in that proclamation. It, I came across a story this week, and I hope it won't offend you too much. It seems the preacher was preaching on heaven and hell, as you know we preachers tend to do. And he was talking about heaven, and he said, you know, when you, when you talk of heaven, your face needs to be radiant. You need to have a great smile on your face, and the joy just, just flows out of you. Your eyes should sparkle. All the words you say should be pleasant and, and excited and happy. Your whole face should just beam with the glorious realm. And then he said, when you talk about hell, well, your ordinary face will do. <laughs> Perhaps that's a message not just for the congregation, but for the preachers. What is the source of our joy? I want to look at a text today that's not going to have Mary, it's not going to have Joseph, it's not going to have the Magi, it's not going to have the shepherds, it's not going to have an angel in it. We're going to look at one of the Psalms. I think it's important to consider the context of this Psalm before I poke at it a little bit. And it's, it seems to be talking of two different places. Let me begin reading it a little bit. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, scholars seem to think that the psalmist here is writing about a particular time in the life of Israel, in case you don't remember, in about 580-something B.C., the last of the Israelites, the southern kingdom of Judah, was captured by the Babylonians. The, the, the king was, was basically made insignificant. Um, the temple, God's gift, God's presence was torn down. The walls around Jerusalem were torn down. And the people were taken into slavery in Babylon. They stayed in slavery for about 50 or so years. And in that time of slavery, they had lost all hope that God did not care. God had forgotten about them. Isaiah tried to tell them that, no, God has not forgotten them. And then a man named Cyrus came along, the Persian ruler, who overthrew the Babylonians and let the people go back home. And in a surprising way, the people, their lives were totally changed. And that's what he's talking about here. When the Lord restored our fortunes, we were like those who dream. 
Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. It was said among the nations, even the nations noticed, that the Lord's done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and, and we rejoiced. But now, the psalmist is writing in a later time. He's reflecting back to an earlier time. But now he's writing in a whole different time because it seems that all the laughter and the shouts of joy have turned to tears and weeping. It seems that most likely what had happened is the people had gone back to Jerusalem. They tried to rebuild the temple, but the, the rebuilt temple looked like, yeah, it didn't look too hot. It looked like I would have built it, okay? And I can't build. It looked pitiful. And the leadership was fighting among themselves. There was not anything really there because it had all been destroyed. And the people were now, that their laughter had gone away and now they lived in misery once again. And so the psalmist cries out, Oh God, restore our fortunes again. Like the watercourses, like the, the riverbeds. The riverbeds would be dry in the dry season, but then in the rainy season they would fill up. Restore our fortunes like that, O oh God. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. O oh God, we lay our tears before you. They won't be magically wiped away, but God, use those tears so that we may reap shouts of joy. Why can the people, why can the psalmist say that? He can say, cry out to God to do this because he knew that God had done it before. God had rescued God's people before and he called on God to do that again. This is a God who has promised to be with God's people and the psalmist is crying out, God, we bring our tears to you. Turn those tears into shouts of joy. There's a quote I read this week. It says, the memory of the past drives the hope for the future. The people in, in this psalm are living in a miserable time. There is anything but joy. So they cry out to God to bring new hope. You see, God is the source of their joy. Not the situation they're living in, because at that time it was horrible. They were sowing in tears. The source of their joy is in the God whom they trust to bring joy. In this season, as we celebrate the coming of Christ at Christmas, we trust in the God who has been with us to be our God who will continue to be with us, especially in the times of tears and heartache. There's a priest, French priest, who lived in the last century, Teilhard de Chardin. I never understood anything he ever wrote when I tried to read it, but this one thing I actually did. He was often accused of being overly idealistic unrealistic in the face of all the negative things that was going on in the world. He lived through World War I and World War II as well as the Great Depression. A critic called him out for being so 
overly simplistic in his joy. He says, suppose we blow up the world with a nuclear bomb. Well, what then will happen to your vision of a world that's coming together in peace? And Deschardins' response was this. If we blow up the world by nuclear bombs, that'll set things back for millions of years. But eventually, what Christ has promised will come about. Not because I wish it, but because God has promised it. And in the resurrection, God has shown that God is powerful enough to deliver on that promise. What is the source of our joy at Christmas? It is the promise of resurrection. It is the promise of new life that God will keep on bringing into our lives. In this Advent season, as we prepare for the coming of Christ, one thing we sometimes forget is how surprising God came in Jesus. We know the story. We've known it since we were little kids. So it's kind of, you know, old hat by now. But just fathom how God came through rather insignificant people, not through the important people. Certainly was it uh, birth in a very prominent place or positions of power in a, in a food trough, a feed trough, in a, in a town that nobody really knew anything about. And pretty soon they had to flee that town and became refugees in Egypt. And then later on that baby grew up and when that baby came back home and started to preach, even in his home church, the people rejected him because his message was so wrong. And then this baby who'd grown up and preached at home went around and eventually he made enough people mad at him that they decided they're going to get rid of him because that message of grace and love for all people just did not wash with them. So they killed him. And then in the ultimate surprise, three days later, we proclaim resurrection. At Christmas, we remember the surprise of the birth of Jesus. And the surprise of the life of Jesus and what he said. And also that that surprising Christ is still coming among us. And even in this season, we may find joy in surprising and unspeakable ways. I want to tell you a story. I only tell it because I was given the okay by Paula Jewett and her family. And really, if I wasn't there, I wouldn't believe it. It was three weeks ago, first Sunday of Advent, Paula had asked that we, that I join her and her, uh, Bill Jewett's sister Lucy and the three girls, uh, Mary Beth and Kelly and Amy, um, at Bill's parents' graveside at Frankfurt Cemetery. We're going to have a small service. Bill had been cremated and he's going to have some of his ashes spread at their pond and also in Florida. But Paula wanted to do this a little bit at this time of year. So I met him over there. We talked a bit. Everybody shared some. There were some tears. There was a prayer. And then Bill's sister Lucy said, Scott, do you know about the Hawks? I said, what, what, what? No. 
She said, yeah, Bill used to love hogs. All growing up, all through his life, whenever they would travel or something, they'd always have to look the hawk, look for the hawk, count the hawks, the house, hawks, hawks. I never knew that. Bill never told me that. Why would he have told me that? So Lucy told me about the hawks. And then not even a minute later, a hawk, a hawk, not a crow, not a buzzer, a hawk, came out from the tree lines and probably about twice the height above the tree line, flew three or four times very slowly over us, and we were the only ones there. And then flew off. When I got home, the first thing I told Beth, I said, Beth, if I hadn't been there, I would never believe that. Now, to try to explain it is impossible for me to do. But for me, there's something of joy in that hawk and in seeing that hawk. What is the source of our joy? It's not in the excitement of this season. Even though that is a very joyful time, I hope, it's not even in this story of the hawk. The source of our joy is in the God who has come and will come again and is always coming. Today and tomorrow and all our days. Thanks be to God. Amen.